Welcome to Let's Talk Conservation, the podcast connecting you to people and foundations working to protect our planet. Each episode, we will travel the world hearing from those dedicating their time to conserving animals, ecosystems, and communities. So, let's talk conservation. Welcome back to this week's episode of Let's Talk Conservation. I'm very happy this week to be speaking to Joe Olson, who I have known for a little while now, working with Hydrophones. Uh, this is nice to have a call with Joe where I'm not in a panic and crying over the fact I've broken more of his equipment. So it's good to catch up with you again, Joe. Yeah, it's good to catch up with you too, Jennifer. So I'm going to apologize in advance for how I sound coming across. I'm the tail end of a cold at the moment, so I apologize for any stuffy disgustingness that might come through the microphone. Um, <laughs> so I think what you've done, I know you through your hydrophones and, and the uh, cetacean works that you do, which is really impressive, but there's a lot of people out there listening to this, hopefully, who don't know who you are. So Joe, if you would like to just steal the show and introduce yourself for us. Huh, yeah, um, I guess I could start uh, with how I got involved with building hydrophones, maybe, because that's um, that's really what ultimately led me to, to what I'm doing right now. Um, I, I went to a meeting back in the late 1980s at the American Cetacean Society chapter meeting in Seattle, a guy was talking about dolphin communication. And I was really interested in that field at the time, um, the, the concept, I still am. And uh, after the meeting, I talked to him for a while and hit him up for a job or at least a, a, an introduction to a possible job doing medical ultrasound because I was also interested in that. And he worked for a company that was doing medical ultrasound research. And I didn't get that job, but he, he uh, actually then asked me to volunteer on a project building hydrophones for him. And it was for dolphin communication research. Hmm. And so I did that for a few years. And then in 1991, he sent me to Hawaii. And when I arrived there, they called me the hydrophone dude because I was there <laughs> to test the hydrophone. And I thought, well, my background's in physics, by the way. I have a, I have a bachelor's degree and uh, some okay. PhD study uh, without finishing uh, in physics. <laughs> And well, I thought I'm, I'm, I'm a scientist. I'm not a hydrophone dude, <laughs> but now 30 years later, I'm, I am a hydrophone dude. And along the way, I, I learned a lot more about conservation, about uh, marine mammal science. And in particular, I continued doing work with the American Cetacean Society, just going to the meetings and learning more about really issues with uh, ecosystems that affect the marine environment and specifically how it impacts uh, whales, dolphins, and porpoises. Um, and at that same time, being a member of Greenpeace and supporting all these different environmental organizations, um, I mean a member like a, a paying member, not like somebody was, you know, an active uh, bridge climbing member yeah. of, of Greenpeace. Um, and all these different parts of my life's continue to, to weave together the um, concern about the environment. Uh, before I started my company, I actually was working for a company that was doing first space physics and then uh, some environmental oceanography and then meteorology oh, wow. work and uh, ocean engineering, just a whole bunch of different things for this company. Mm -hmm. um, but then I left there and, and I started working for a company that was doing uh, research into home heating efficiency. So really just the efficiency of heating systems, mostly, uh, you know, as forced air systems, uh, but how we can make, how we can make more energy efficient homes. And so that kind of brought in my, 
concerns about energy efficiency uh, mm-hmm. that they had just through other parts of my life. But then I quit there and started my company. And that was in 1994. And then just started building hydrophones, still going to American Cetacean Society meetings. And in 1999, I founded the Puget Sound chapter of the American Cetacean Society. Hmm. Uh, That was initially in response to the macaw whale hunt uh, because they were hunting gray whales and I didn't really want them to do that. And there were several groups that were opposed to them, the Sea Shepherd as, as, as well as other ones. And I thought the American Cetacean Society would be a good organization to interact with the, the macaw that was not in your face, right? Mm-hmm. But, but really from a conservation point of view. Yeah. And we started having some dialogue with a few of the people in the tribe. And that was just a really good learning experience for me and hopefully a little bit for them as well. Uh, just about the different issues that, that were involved with the whole hunt. Um, because of that, our chapter of the American Cetacean Society has been going now uh, since 1999. And I stepped down as president uh, in 2002 and started raising a family then. <laughs> that took enough of my time while I was running my business <laughs> too. So then fast forward to 2019, the, well, no, let's just, let's not go that far. Let's just let's skip to 2001. There was a big issue with the Southern resident killer whales mm-hmm. yeah uh, the population was was crashing again i mean after it had been growing since the time when all the captures were happening in the 60s and 70s and it started declining again in 1990 in the late 90s um and in 2001 i co-organized a workshop to get scientists and environmental um organizations and individuals together to talk about what could be done to help the orcas and at that time we identified three main things that were problems and they're the same three things that are the problems now, the three categories. And, yeah. and that's lack of food and noise and pollution. Mm-hmm. And um, so we've known about this for a long time. And in 2019, there was a workshop, 2018, 2019, the Washington state put together a workshop, an ARCA task force to address the issues. Yeah. And some positive things came out of that, but there was a lot that, hasn't been done and a lot that didn't get immediately addressed. What I found from that was things that have been going on for a long time is that there's, when things are really dire and there's limited resources to to address those problems, people, I think just people in general tend to become entrenched in the issues that are most important to them. That becomes the most important and they they tend to push aside the other ones. Mm -hmm. And and when I look back, when I look at it, I see the overall view. I, just, I, I like to see a much bigger picture of it. Every single thing is important. And I don't find any one more important than the others, that they, yeah. they all need to be addressed equally. And in fact, that's when I founded ACS in 1999, the whole goal was to use an ecosystem approach to conservation and not just focus on only marine issues. Um, so that's still kind of part of the whole uh my whole ethos, I guess. Mm-hmm. So by 2019, I hope I'm not like dragging on and on way too long here. Cause I know you want to introduce myself and I'm like, just really going on. <laughs> no, you've had like a, an incredible career and path to get to where you are. It's really interesting to hear about everything. And all of those experiences have led you into what we are here to talk about today, which is this incredible in, uh, incentive that you're working to build and set up called the world pop festival, which is really awesome. Um, so maybe following on from the introduction to yourself, why don't you explain, you know, what it is and how you've come about this? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it uh, it happened in in 2019, I guess. Uh, first, after seeing the Bohemian Rhapsody movie and all the, the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that didn't do it. But but seeing the movie reminded me of of the um, Live Aid concert and what mm. a big deal that was at the time. And then after going to Vancouver to see Paul McCartney, I think it was in July of that year, and just the the feel that people have after being at a live show, boy, I'll tell you, especially after two years of having things not be live. Oh, um, absolutely. But, <laughs> but that crowd energy is, it's a real motivator. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's really a motivator. And after going to the show and then thinking about, that, that reminded me of Live Aid and thinking about, what all the things that need to be done for the orcas, I thought, well, a, a concert would be really good, but not a concert for awareness because we've been raising awareness now for 30 years mm-hmm. and, and not one for fundraising because what are you raising the funds for except to give to nonprofit organizations so then they can get people to try to do the work that they need to do. And granted, there are, there's fundraising that, that there's money that needs to be done for, for other certain things, but mm-hmm. For the kinds of things that, that individuals need to do, you don't need that. You can bypass the, the money phase. And in fact, you can have people then more invested. And yeah. so that was, that was kind of the germ of my idea. And so then it just started growing. I started thinking about it and thought, well, the concert has to be free. And the only, you know, how do we make a free concert? I mean, I could solicit donations to pay for everything. So people can go in for free, or I can just ask for everything to be free. And my son, who at the time was 15, said, well, dad, that's crazy. <laughs> you can't just, you might be able to get some stuff for free, but you can't get everything for free. And I said, well, no, but I'm going to try. And so just keep working and, and get buy-in from everybody. So it was a slow process. Uh, and I started talking to people about it. And the more people I talked to, they said, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but no, maybe it'll work. So I called the biggest stadium in Seattle, Century, it was called CenturyLink Field then, I think it's Lumen Field now, because that's the one that was owned by Paul Allen. So I contacted them and I was hoping that I, I had a friend who knew, I did have a friend who knew Paul Allen, but then Paul was dead, so that didn't help. Um, so I, I called the stadium and I said, what I was, what I was planning, that I, I would like the stadium for free. And the director of the, of rentals said, that's not a very big hurdle. Oh. And that gave me a huge boost. That's not a very big hurdle, but you got to get the city to go along with it too, for crowd control and all that. Yeah. I thought, okay, well, there we go. So this was in October, November of 2019. And so it's, it's little positive affirmations that really help to spur one on. Yeah. Um, then at the time I was traveling a whole bunch of conferences that I was attending, a bioacoustics conference in, in England, and then a Marine Mammal Society conference in Barcelona. So I was back to, I was in England and then Barcelona um, twice and within just a couple months and meeting with other NGO people who work for NGOs and, and running the idea past them. So they would be helping out. So I haven't told you really what the whole idea is yet. I'm sorry. About that. Um, <laughs> I'm sounding like one of my old bosses who would just talk for six hours on end without getting to the point. 
It's like, we'll circle back to it. This is also editing yeah. for, don't worry. <laughs> that, I, think, I think this is probably, I, I really do believe this has something to do with being a physicist. Um, <laughs> I know very few who are good at getting to the point right away. Um, so that's, that's in my defense. <laughs> um, okay, so to tell you what it's about is that it has been an evolution because the first idea was just for the orcas. And I realized in order to be big enough to get big acts for a concert, mm-hmm. that's going to motivate people. It can't just be about the orcas. It's got to be about the whole planet. And it can't be about just one thing about the planet. We have, climate change, global warming is a huge problem. Yeah. And it's something that people are pretty darn aware of. And it also seems so overwhelming that you know, what can I do about it? There's a lot of things we can do about it. So it's, it's important to have a lot of different um, choices for people to, to make, mm-hmm. the, the actions that they can take. So I realized that we need something that's big to attract the bigger acts in order to help the orcas. But to help the orcas, we have to help the whole planet. And so that comes back to the old, old adage that was in, from the 60s and 70s of acting locally, thinking globally. Yeah. And in fact, in the past year, Jane Goodall has been saying that same thing over and over again, just, mm-hmm. which is really nice to hear. So this is an event to empower people to take action and or make lifestyle changes that are going to benefit their local ecosystems. Mm-hmm. Okay. And by doing so, it's going to benefit the whole planet. So the, the, the concert will be in one location, but be live streamed worldwide. But unlike all the live streams we've had during COVID, it will be a live event and there will be people there. There'll be tens of thousands of people there, right? Hopefully, well, at least 70,000 at one of the two stadiums that I'm trying to get here in Seattle uh, with more filing through. So at least 100,000 people to, to be in one location. Ow. And instead of paying for the event with money, you have to commit or resolve to doing three things you're not already doing for your local ecosystem or your local community. Because one thing that I don't know if you're familiar, I don't want to get too far on a tangent, but if you're familiar with intersectional environmentalism and you should, you could, you should check it out. I think I made a post on, on my Instagram uh, mm-hmm. with a book that was recently published by a woman. Uh, just, just, it was just published a few a month or so ago. But really it's how anything to do with, with healing the environment can't be done at the expense of impoverished or underrepresented communities. And often those are communities of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's really important that, that that's all integrated. And in fact, I learned about intersectional environmentalism from the American Cetacean Society from a post that they made on their, their Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this is really more of an issue. Well, it depends. This is an issue in the United States and it's a big issue in developing nations. So a lot of times things are done to help the environment, but then it, it hurts small local communities. So, so that has to, that that's, that's involved in this as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's the end of that little spur. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was a short one, but it's, it's integral to this. So it's, it's really important. Yeah. Um, so by people making that commitment, then that's, that is their admission to the, or exit from the event. Right? 
I don't think I can keep people captive until they sign something to leave. But, um, we're we're still working. Some, uh, some principles. We, we have to we have to work that out. I mean, no matter what you do, when you're asking people for a commitment to something, mm-hmm. I I fully understand that many people are are not going to do it. They're not going to follow through. There there will be a there will be a large number of people who really want to. Mm-hmm. And they will to start with, but then it's we, there needs to be follow up, yeah. and that's why this event will have hundreds of different NGOs, environmental organizations, peace mm-hmm. organizations, and organizations to help people in poverty as well, uh, to give people ideas of what they can do, and to also help follow up with what the people are doing. Yeah, you have a question. What kind of I mean, what sort of incentives can people make? Like what sort of ideas could you kind of just like throw out one or two at the moment like people could make to kind of make a difference? You know, something that's yeah, maybe like sustainable, right. right? Like, I mean, right. I know lots of people would love to be able to afford the big fancy fancy like electric cars, but maybe that's not affordable for everybody. So is there like something on a smaller local scale that makes a difference people don't necessarily would think about? Right. These are things that I don't have all the answers to. I mean, I think I have very few of the answers to what people can do. I, I have very few of the answers to specifically what people can do. And that's why I'm, I'm working with a lot of different NGOs that have answers, right? They, nobody has all of them, but, but they all have a few answers, right? So what can people do if you can afford it? So this depends on how much money you have, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you can't afford. So if you can afford it, buy locally grown organic produce from your local farmers, that's going to cost more than buying them from uh, a large nationwide grocery chain that gets things that are not sustainably grown. You can grow your own produce. That makes a big difference. Actually, just growing your own and then tending to the earth, tending to your own backyard mm-hmm. brings you closer to the planet and it makes you pay attention to what's going on. One very important thing is in your yard, not to use any noxious chemicals, yeah. right? So don't use pesticides and herbicides because those are incredibly toxic, particularly to marine mammals. So the pesticides and herbicides, they're toxic to an extent to terrestrial mammals, but they're roughly 10 times more toxic to marine mammals. And this was found in a study, I think it's been a year and a half or so ago and I don't know who it was that published it. I, I learned it from a friend of mine who's on the board of the American Citation Society local chapter who's an uh, epidemiologist. So let's see, you know, what else can you do? <laughs> you know, it's had a kind of loaded question to sort of throw at you there. It's yeah, just... no, no, no. But I knew that I knew. I mean, I, of course, everybody, everybody asked that, right? Um, <laughs> and people probably ask you that all the time, too. So I should ask <laughs> you what you can do. Um, don't drive your car if you don't. I mean, if you can walk, if you're able-bodied and you don't have mm-hmm. to go more of an, I don't know, a kilometer, yeah, right? And if you can't afford it, get an electric vehicle. Uh, put solar panels on your roof. Okay, yeah. That makes a big difference. So then there's things you can do that are not, that, that are not just, at, that are not actions that you're, you're physically taking, but you can advocate for things. You can write letters and call your local representatives to change zoning to make sure that, that green roofs are put on buildings, on, yeah. on commercial buildings, right? <laughs> you have a, a mix of solar panels and green roofs. Um, so like in green yeah. roofs and like green walls on buildings, especially in like really dense city areas, I know are 
<clears throat> sorry, I know are becoming like a bit more of a hot topic around to have. Yes, yes. And these are things that I think that that we're way behind on doing. Uh, we we should be working on those now. We, I mean, we should have been working on them years ago. And it's not that hard to just say this is what has to be done. Yeah. The buildings might cost a little bit more, but not that much. Yeah. And the benefit no. that goes along with it, you know, I mean, I mean, yep. it looks it's aesthetically nice to people in the middle of a city. Yes. It's cleaner air. It, you know, it has the benefit. It, right. So. Well, and so right. So it has a benefit for it has a benefit not only for uh, global warming, but also. And so and it keeps the building cooler, but also for toxicity. Because trees and plants absorb the, the toxins that are in the air. So so mm -hmm. air pollution isn't as bad. I mean, we shouldn't shouldn't have to worry about it at all. But while we do have cars driving around that are that are still spewing out toxic chemicals, then you know, let's have a little more green as well. Mm -hmm. It's gonna come back to me. I know I think there was an article recently of I can't remember what the city is, it's terrible, my brain's mush right now. Um, but they had a lot of kind of these green walls and green roofs, and they were seeing like a difference in the amount of air pollution and then general kind of clarity in the air because it was getting pulled out more and more and more. And so yeah, they are it's pushing, I think it's somewhere. I want to say maybe like sort of East Asia area there. there. I, it's, yeah. yeah. It'll really, yeah. I can yeah, see yeah, it. I read something yeah. about it too recently. Yeah. I can't remember which city and where it is. I think it's sort of out in, on the Asian sort of Asian side of things. And I can't remember right. what it was, but they were seeing like a big difference having put more green roofs and green walls into all these buildings. And so they're kind of making more a drive. And then there's um, areas, I think, outside of like Holland, where they have like small little kind of biodiversity patches in neighborhoods, which are just like local native species. And they're seeing a difference in air quality as well as like right. biodiversity species, right? right. So it's, and this is the thing, it can be small scale. And that's what you're kind of yeah. getting at. So it's like small scale stuff. I have friends back back in the UK who have converted most of their, like half their garden into like a, a wildflower meadow. And they're constantly telling me what they see and they find. And it's, it's little things like that. And you, I always love seeing like the local you know, primary schools and stuff around me do like little bird houses or little bee homes or bug hotels, right? And yes. they put them around on the trails and or in their gardens. And it's that's the kind of stuff as well. Like it's small scale, but it it helps. Small scale, but but everybody doing small things makes a big difference. And that's another thing you can do if you have a lawn, <clears throat> start planting trees and shrubs in it and let let them take over you know, or dig it up and plant them in. That's, that's what I did in my whole front yard. It's just, the, it's, it's a jungle. See, that sounds like my style of gardening, no yeah. management whatsoever. <laughs> right. And I slowly, and, 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 and it can actually be, it can be really pleasant because the, you don't have to go out there just like yank weeds like crazy. And I have some dandelions coming up and that's great. Cause then I just eat the greens. Dandelion yeah. greens are, are delicious, especially in spring. They're actually, they're not bitter at all. They're actually quite okay. nice like lettuce. But yeah, you tend to it a little bit. You can put a little path, garden path in and, you know, and have a nice, pleasant place. And it's so much cooler in the summer. Mm. So there's things for, for individuals to do. Mm -hmm. And I also want to have, so I, I, I want this to be also very apolitical, which is almost impossible to do. I don't want to only attract the choir. So, I mean, all the, all the people that I associate with predominantly are people in the environmental community or yeah. sciences. And so they're already doing a lot of this. And so bring, bringing them in is just a big echo chamber. So again, a concert that has a wide variety of artists is going to attract a much broader base of people. And no matter who you are, whether you're somebody who thinks that you know, environmentalists are just like, I don't know, some crazy hippies or, or whatever, right? Um, yes. <laughs> but 
but everybody still cares about their own backyard. Yeah. No matter who you are. And so I think the people that think they don't like environmentalists still care about their bit of nature mm-hmm. uh, or, or the cityscape or whatever it is. And usually that's out in there. They usually have more nature actually. Um, and, and the people who are really impoverished, they, what can they do? I mean, the thing is, basically by having so little, you're already doing a lot. You're, you're already doing a lot more by doing, by not being able to do anything. And that's not a good thing either, right? Because now you, I mean, it's not good for you personally, right? Yeah. So with that, then there are things that you can do that like, like advocating for things, but doing it, committing to doing it, advocating weekly or monthly or something where you're, you're, you're trying to make change. Mm-hmm. With this kind of stuff, like obviously you wanted to bring in like people, and you said you're talking to like NGOs and companies who are already involved in this kind of work. What about maybe trying to like are you looking to try and go after like the bigger companies where a lot of this environmental damage, you know, like I, I say, yes. I shouldn't name names on anything, but you know, yeah, the, the the big evils <laughs> in the world right. you know, with the single use plastic and all this kind of stuff. Like, is it is it where are you trying to, <laughs> sorry, reach out in that direction? Yes, precisely. So. So besides, so so right now there there is most of the direction uh, there is a there, there there are free concerts that are held to help the environment or help this cause or that cause, and most of that is asking people to go after, to to write to lobby, uh, to protest different companies or governments or or whatever to do things. Right? Mm-hmm. So and so that's why I wanted this one to be about people actually, instead of telling or asking or telling somebody else what to do is to do it ourselves, do everything we can try not to use single use plastics whenever you can, right. Mm-hmm. You know, keep your, bring a, bring a cloth bag. I mean, this is tiny, but bring a cloth bag and put stuff in there and you can wash them and then keep your produce in a, I don't even, I just throw it in my, in my vegetable drawer and clean yeah. the drawer out every two months or something when stuff starts, the little leaves start to go. <laughs> Um, but it it stays everything stays nice and fresh in there, um, or keep things in glass jars. You know, I mean that's where my asparagus goes. It always goes in glass jar because it stays nice and crisp. Rather than having this be about telling everybody else what to do, when we're doing something, it's a lot easier than it's easier once we're doing something to say, "Hey, look, I'm already doing it. It's yeah. time for you, big corporation, or you, government representatives, to to do this as well." Mm-hmm. So what I want to have go along with this event is, and that's the other thing that I'm, I'm working with. And I fortunately know I have one friend who was in state government who's now in city government. I want to have buy-in from the, from local state and federal, if I can get that far governments okay. to, to take actions, to make policy changes that are coincident with the festival next mm-hmm. summer. At the same time, I want there to be a competition among corporations to see who can do the most. Yeah. So I don't want that. I don't want any of them giving money. I want them all to donate everything. So I want the stadium donated and then to have the people who are doing all the work to spend that one day or two days for the roadies um, to set things up. Mm-hmm. And that's a big ask really, because they're doing some, some tough work, Yeah. but to have everybody volunteer, I want everything to be volunteered and then to have other things happen. So have, have companies donate to start reforesting parts of the world. And, and I don't mean set aside areas that are already forested and say, we're not going to chop them down and have that count. Because there's a Ponzi game done with some of this uh, tree planting, right? Um, so it has to be some real, real authentic reforestation and mm-hmm. gaining back more land that is yeah. natural. So 
that's that so there's everything keeps coming in threes that there's the I want, I want people to do three things they're not already doing once it once it's together people have choices of a lot of different things they can do from the smallest to, to the biggest if you're able to do more do more right yeah. uh, you can become vegan right you know or or vegetarian you or you can just eat less meat even once a week eat less meat all of those things makes a difference yeah so there's so there's the people the people attending and the people watching and having NGOs on the ground throughout the world to point people locally mm-hmm. to, to what they can do. Okay. Governments governments making commitments to mm-hmm. actually making policy change mm-hmm. and corporations doing things that are making big change in the way they not only the way they do their work so so it has to be the way that that they run their companies that is going to be not only good for for um, climate change to help climate change but also less polluting in general hmm. right so i mean the, the getting getting rid of plastics but any other toxins as well and that even then that's going to go to even electric companies i mean electric car manufacturers right so yeah. there's i mean no matter what we do with 8 billion people on this planet oh. it's hard for us not to have negative effect and um, that's and this kind of takes back to when everybody was, was when we were in COVID was like, I, I was, I love the videos and, and pictures and stuff that came out of, we took humanity out of the way for like, what, two, a month, two months and yeah. rivers cleared up, oceans were getting thicker, you know, th- there was clear skies, animals came back quick. It's, it's kind of hard to dispute the evidence, you know, when you're like, okay, right. well, when we take away us driving a thousand cars every day in a city to, I couldn't see my neighbor's tower now. Oh gosh. Wow. I can see the mountains behind my city. You know, right. it's, it's crazy when you think what happens when you, when we make those changes. So it is possible. We know it can happen. It's just, yeah, you say it's finding ways to drive it. And I think this is a really, a really yeah. incredible idea. Like, and fun enough, I was, I was talking to someone recently about saying I was recording this episode with you and they were, I was trying to explain to them. And I was like, it's like live aid, but for the planet. And then you say so you've referred to it a couple of times that way as right. well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. And it's incredible that you've come up with this concept and we're still driving to work towards it. Yeah. And the, and the, the idea of not having any money, um, not fundraising because the problem with um, events when you're fundraising is then there's always that opportunity for somebody to, to point and say, well, that those funds weren't spent properly or, mm-hmm. or this or that. And so this takes that totally out of the equation. Yeah. And, and I really think I've, I've got this, this big uh, sheet of paper on the, on my kid's old bedroom door. And we started brainstorming, writing stuff down. He wrote, he wrote up, he wrote on the top, this is Joe's crazy idea. <laughs> and you know, but he thinks it's I know he thinks it's pretty cool too, right? But and he's the one who actually told me that that he was concerned about asking people to take action mm-hmm. without making sure that everyone else is doing it too. Because mm-hmm. he said that, that that was actually what industry did, especially the petroleum industry, did to people. It, it, they they there was a PR campaign to get people. To basically to put it on ourselves that well it's up to us to um, not litter right not, mm-hmm. all, with all these plastics but that that shifts the blame I'm not I'm not doing this I'm definitely not doing this to shift the blame on us but I want us to be I also want us not to be just pointing fingers and not and feeling like we can't do anything mm-hmm. so yeah. I, I want really I want to empower everybody I want I want the people of the plant to feel empowered that we can make a difference and just by doing small scale things. And still point fingers. That's fine. But but now we're but now we're pointing fingers and saying, "Hey, look what I'm doing. You better be doing 
at least the same. Or let's say you make a billion dollars and I only make a thousand. Well, you got to do a million times more than what I'm doing. Right? <laughs> I mean, whatever. Right. Yeah. No, it's really good. And it's and so you say you're hoping to get this up and running for next summer. Is that summer? Yeah, I was really. So originally when I was planning this in 2019, I thought, OK, I'm going to go. It's it, this. The world is in bad shape and it's critical and we're close to the tipping point if we aren't already there with mm-hmm. climate change. And I wanted it by September of 2020. Well, that <laughs> in January of 2020, I had re- I wrote a letter to Paul McCartney and I also got a hold of um, his one of his managers through a, a friend in Brazil. Oh, wow. And, and if you guys, the McCartney guys are listening to this, I'm not going to say who it was because he said not to say it. Um, but I, so I was able to have a conversation with them and I got a response back from Paul through his people saying, sorry, you know, I'm, I'm busy in 2020. Well, then the pandemic hit and things changed. Right. So I did ask again and mm-hmm. we don't know. I mean, it's right now I start. I decided to start there, start with an old, with like the top, the beetle, you know, yeah. and, but now, now we're working, you get, the venue first and they want to know if you actually have some acts yeah that are ready to do it and it's and the acts want to know if there's a venue and but it's okay it's one way or another it's going to happen uh, i i realized that living in seattle my whole life and all the work that i've done all all the hydrophones that i've built for people and the advice i've given to people has just been i mean it, i i've done it because i i really want to help with both conservation of, mm-hmm. of species but also learning about them learning like their their how they communicate and it's just fascinating to me and i always make students give me a one page one to two page description of their project mm-hmm. and prove they're a student in order to get a student discount because that's how i learn the latest research because students are always sent out to do the stuff the, the newest things right yeah so for the last almost 30 years i've always been up on the, the newest research with cetacean communication or cetacean acoustics there's a lot of goodwill that i've i've earned and i never really thought much about it i've i met a customer who is the sound guy for beyonce oh wow for her live events and other people that know one person or another right and i'm meeting you right and it's, yeah. it's <laughs> through work and you just you just never know right yeah. it's well if anyone's still, listening and they want to go play seattle next summer Give Joe yeah. a message. <laughs> Please do. Well, I mean, if we can get it all up and running, I think this is a great, and I really hope we can get ground up and running. If you need some spare volunteers to come down, I will more than happily come down and give my time and make my make my promises to make a better impact on my planet. You you will. Uh, you will be drafted for sure. Awesome. And so the pandemic has actually been, I mean, it's been terrible, but it, it's allowed me to uh, modify how this event is happening. And one friend suggested I need to practice it first. And I thought, well, no, you can't really practice for something this big. But that then that finally struck me, no, but I can have local pop events. Yeah. So part of the world pop leading up to it, I, I have this vision that I, I, I can see everything in my head and I can't get it out. Um, it's <laughs> difficult because so I have a I have a nice video demo of what a graphic representation of what's happening. Mm-hmm. I've already talked to a few friends who are musicians about doing this. So we'll have a few local pop events just to get people to understand what's going on and not, yeah. not necessarily test the waters, but just to, to make this idea something that people mm-hmm. understand. Right. Yeah. Um, so there you'll just have 
one or two, or just maybe one organization, one specific thing, one to three, whatever. This isn't fleshed out yet. <laughs> to, to see one or two performers mm-hmm. and for free, but you have to make a commitment to doing something that helps whatever the thing is mm-hmm. that they're sponsoring. So do that. But then after World Pop, I see it as a big, big popcorn. Boom. Right. <laughs> it's spawning then World Pop events. I mean, local pop events all over the world. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to own this at all. I want this thing to be like a supernova that yeah. then spawns new stars. And just have it become a way of life. Have it be something that, oh, yeah, okay, we'll do this. We'll, we'll do this for you. And you do this for mm-hmm. the planet or for your community or for whatever, right? Yeah. That might start ruffling some feathers of some idealists or something. I don't know. But change um, comes from making waves, as they say. Yeah. So I need to know somebody. And if you know anybody that is good at making um, animated videos, I just want a 30 to 60 second animated video that you know I can what? put on YouTube, right? It'll just kind of show. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the one I see to, to give you an idea is there was an old <laughs> the Chipotle grill commercial when they first went public. I don't know if you ever saw that, but I don't know. It's just kind of this little things happening and little ideas happening. And then it gets yeah. bigger. And then there's like the big thing. And then boom, you know, when you've got these things all over. Yeah. I've got it sketched out on a piece of paper, but it's I think not. I can kind of picture what you're saying. I'm 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 trying to, yeah, I think I can sort of it's yeah, it starts so off small can, and then suddenly also, you, you pan out and there's lots of little yes. ones everywhere and there we go. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I've got a sketch. I can take a picture of it and send it to you. I can actually probably reach out to a couple of people that do kind of graphic works. You know, I'll, I'll you know, like I say we, we talk after this anyway. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we can do some yeah. some benefit here. But yeah, I mean, I I think it's going to be great. And I really, I really, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed and I will help with hopefully this podcast reaches, you know, some, some of the right people. And maybe people have other ideas or want to get involved, want to come over to Seattle next summer and, and get involved. Um there all the other information about it is also um i think you have a handle on facebook um which is just world pop festival instagram and twitter and all the links to all the social media will be in the episode description so it's worth checking out and then yeah if anyone knows anybody or wants to get involved themselves or you know just wants to make a difference in their own community maybe one same day that joe has his in seattle maybe someone does it in their local park as well right you can watch yours and do their one and then yeah we can hopefully try and save the world (laughs) Yes, let's do that. I tell you, Jennifer, it's uh, th- thank you for for asking to interview me because just talking with you is motivational. So, yeah. Well, thank. I mean, honestly, as soon as I can't even quite remember the conversation. I think I know I was. I think it was on a day when I was phoning you, panicking about the hydrophones, but I, I can't remember how we quite got onto it really. And I was just like, we need to have a talk on my podcast. Like, I think the world needs to hear about this. Like, we need to get this out there. So, yeah. Very, very glad that the the, the roundabout way of connecting. And, uh, and it's like I said, it's always nice to have a conversation where I'm not phoning crime because I broke another firefighter. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice for me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to, to do this and to get it out there in the world. Like I said, every, all the information will be in the episode description. But yeah, like, thank you, Joe. And, you know, maybe we'll, we can do another episode at some point, check in, see how it's going. And, you know, if this gets up and running, yeah. I, say, I said, I will come down and volunteer my time happily. Maybe we can do a live episode while we're down there. Get yeah. it out. Get it back well, out. That, that would be cool. Yeah, that'd be good fun. Yeah. But yeah, so no, thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. We'll be in touch and we'll keep updates on how it's going. But thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for joining us this week. For updates and links about the show and guests, you can check us out on Twitter at Let's Talk Commissar One. If you have any follow-up questions or comments for the guests, you can contact us by email at 
letstalkcons at gmail.com. If you want to hear more on the show and keep listening to us, please subscribe and follow. It means a great deal to everyone involved. Thanks for listening and have a great week.